Oh, there we go. Load shedding stage two again. Um, and for the Europeans who, uh, who's unaware of this term, it's basically when the government takes your fucking money, the tax money that's supposed to go for specific things, and uh, you know, use it for their for their BMWs, their Mercedes, and the expensive um, trips abroad. So here we are, twice a day um, without power. So um, businesses. You know, they are the guys who's really struggling or um, taking strain under these um, conditions. Um, you know, having had a coffee shop with load shedding, that's basically it. You know, you're closing the doors for the rest of the afternoon or the morning or whatever the case might be. Um, so um, I think this has been ongoing from 2005, 6, 7, somewhere there. So it's now a good, what, 17, 18 years that we've been having this problem and uh, it doesn't seem like there's any end in sight. So uh, it just seems like it's getting, it's getting worse. And obviously with winter where there's an increase of uh, a need for power, um, you know, that's exactly the time when um, there's not enough for everyone to, to go around. So um, I think at this stage, the neighborhoods in Durban that's been affected by the floods, they don't have uh, load shedding for obvious reasons, but the rest of us are basically, you know... Um, sitting in the dark at night so last night again it was at least you know the good thing about it is well is where i stay there's not too much light pollution so with all the lights off um you know you can actually see the the stars in the milky way and um the night sky which is quite beautiful so there's quite a lot to to see um which actually reminds me of something that i've read many years ago uh that happened i think it was new york or somewhere it's like a, bit of a typical american story but um it's kind of where there was a power outage uh, I think it was some big city, Chicago, New York, somewhere. And um, 911 actually had incoming calls of people um, scared for their lives. They saw these lights and this massive thing in the sky that's kind of descending onto them and, you know, going to teleport them back to a different galaxy or planet. And it basically, in the end of the day, it was the first time many people saw the Milky Way. They um, And due to the, all the light pollution, you know, in everyday life, they just never saw that. So... Um, Anyway, so where I am, I'm kind of almost right underneath the Milky Way, so it's quite beautiful to observe it, especially if you're sitting basically um, in my spare bedroom. I can basically lay on the bed and watch the Milky Way, which is quite cool. Um, but on topic with um, power outages, um, I used to I used to actually spend a little bit of time in a nuclear power station, uh, Kuburg nuclear power station, which is basically... Um, in Cape Town, just outside Cape Town, and um, it's one of the one. It's probably the only or one of the only nuclear power stations in Africa, and I think it's also the most southern um, nuclear power station in the world. Um, and it was quite interesting to spend a few, a little bit of time in this massive um, factory. For basically, that's what it is: factory for creating electricity, and. Um, I'm sure for anyone who's ever driven up the west coast uh, on the R27, you've seen the the the, the massive um, power station sitting right on the beach, uh, just on the edge of the northern part of Malpos. Um, so this this power station was, um, I, I think it was built um, and opened in late 1970s, and it's got um, basically two reactable um, two reactors. Um, and it's um, it's it's basically starts it's it's like a um, what do they call it like a 
uh, fuck, I need to think about the word. It's a pressurized water reactor. Um, so it's got like these loops. And basically how it works is uh, this this specific one operates on three separate water systems. Um, and that's also why it needs to be close to the, close to the ocean because the ocean that actually used the, the seawater um, in one of the loops because um, the water is basically used as a coolant to cool down uh, the, reactable, um, the reactors. Um Many other power stations that use gas um, as the coolant. So um, the good thing about having three different loops is the fact that um, you know um, the re- the radioact- uh, radioactive um, s- water uh, doesn't come in contact. Uh, that's in one in the one system uh, does not come in contact with uh, the other water systems. And basically, what how it works is the primary system takes the heat from the fuel. Um, in the nuclear, uh, in the nuclear, in the reactor building, through tubes, into the steam generators. So, um, for those f- who's never seen um, what uh, these reactor pools looks like, it's in the in the observe what it actually looks like from close up, and it's quite impressive actually. Um, so, um, it's basically like a, a pool, a swimming pool with these fuel rods that's sitting within the water and then they get lowered and um, lifted to, to, to create more more heat. And then this heat, um, the primary system then takes this heat from the fuel um, into the reactor to the tubes in the, in the steam generators uh, and then the water is then returned to the reactor uh, through a pump. So the secondary system um, is also closed and then what happens is this water is pumped into the steam generator, the water is allowed to boil it forms steam, which then drives um, this massive high-pressure turbine. Uh, there's a few uh, low-pressure turbines, and then ultimately the generator. And uh, there's two generators. Um, and basically, if you stand within the turbine hall, you've got these two massive fucking generators looking at each other with um, with their turbines. And uh, each one of these generators produce something like 921 megawatts of electricity. So uh, once the steam has um, driven the turbines... It flows through, uh, through to the condensers where it's cooled back to water and then circulated back to the the steam generator, and then the, the second, the third, sorry, the third system, this uh, tertiary system, is then used uh, in the condensers where the the cooling water system um, for the condensers uses the seawater at a, at the rate of something like eighty tons a second to cool the steam in the condensers, and then once it's been cooled down, um, it then that water gets returned to the sea. So everything is uh, uh, closed. So that seawater is not, there's no radio um, radioactivity within the, the seawater that it gets used to cool, cool it down. So that water flows back into the ocean again. The interesting thing about all of this is, well, I, there's actually so much to talk about, but the interesting thing about Kubrick is um, many people in Malkbos that um, all of us grew up crayfish diving. Um, and that's just something that you do when you're in Cape Town as a boy, you know, fishing, crayfish diving, back in the day, abalone diving, uh, surfing, basically water sports and using the ocean as a, as a recreational playground is something that, uh, you know, you grow up with. And um, as a kid, I remember there used to be guys my age, friends of mine, that used to go crayfish, but they used to do um, netting. So you basically have this ring, a metal ring with a net that you drop down with bait and then you leave it for a few hours, and then you come back and you collect it. Then, uh, hope, hoping that you will have some crayfish that was that moved into the net because of the the bait. So that's kind of a lazy way of catching crayfish. But I remember people in Malkbos believed back then that the vibration, the very so slight vibration 
from the reactor building, or from from the power station rather, um, gave off a vibration on this metal ring on the nets. And the crayfish, because they're so sensitive to 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 uh, with their um, touch. They were able to pick up on this vibration. That, that's why crayfish very seldom got into the, the crayfish nets or pots, which is something that I can't really um, uh, verify, but it was just something I remember back in the day. It was, it was quite a, a talking topic. Anyway, so um, this um, power station, it, it's, it's, it was like I think I mentioned, it was built in the 70s, late 70s. And um, when the, with the pictures, when, when Kuberg were built, there was these amazing pictures of the shark teeth that they found. Because it's so close to the beach, um, when they excavated the, 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 the area to, to uh, where the, the, the station is sitting on, um, there was hundreds of these massive fossilized megalodon shark teeth uh, that was found. And, you know, back then, there, no one really... Um, it was not really a sought-after collector's item, so it was kind of thrown back or back in the ocean or thrown away or just left wherever they found it. And you know, these days, the shark teeth is, is a quite a quite a commodity, especially for for collectors. Um, anyway, so um, like I said, the, um, it's got two. It, the Kuberg has is operating on on two different uh, units. Um, that's kind of a mirror image of of each, of each other and t- collectively produces something like a thousand eight hundred and something 60 or so, uh, megawatt of power which is uh, i think enough for the western cape in the summer months i don't know you know maybe that's um it used to be like that maybe now uh, it's not even enough for the western cape alone um so um being being nuclear power obviously there's you know you've got low level waste intermediate level waste and high level waste that needs to be dealt with and um you've got these s- specific um areas um, storing areas within the power station where low level waste and all these different types of waste gets um, um, stored and i'm sure you know there's people there that's been working there for 30 40 50 years and i'm sure they'll be able to give a much more clear uh, understanding or explanation of exactly how it works but in essence the fuel rods that's spent that's used within these pools these uh, basically gets then transported underwater through tunnels um, and then it's got it's, it gets left in these metal um, drums, concrete drums for a specific amount of years, and then it gets moved to another area where it's get left uh, it's left for another few years, and then ultimately the low and intermediate waste from Kuberg is then trans- transported in these steel and concrete containers um, to a, a disposal site in Falpitz, which is 600 kilometers away in the in the desert. Um, so um, where was I? I wanted to. To talk about um, anyway, so I've spent a few I've spent a few months in this nuclear power station. I was actually part of the health and safety team, so I had the opportunity to observe many many cool things. Um, you know, um, asbestos removal, um, high pressure testing of the reactor buildings, um, massive massive rigging um, jobs. And then um, ultimately, you know, having the opportunity to enter the reactor uh, building, spends a lot of time in the, the the turbine hall, you know, and seeing how everything kind of comes together. And um, in outages, usually what happens is uh, you've got these two units. Usually, unit one will be shut down, unit two will be running, and then you know, for a hundred days or whatever, um, they will they'll main, main, uh, give maintenance and service to unit one, and then when it's up and running again, they'll switch and do it to unit two. 
and that happens every um, few years uh, or every year. I think you might have one unit in you know in service, but every few years you is you get to a, a year where both units needs to be uh, main, maintained um, back to back. And that's usually the time of year when there's an influx of um, workers, you know, from Japan, from Brazil, from America, from the States, um, from from England, um, from the UK. All around the world, you've got these in- engineers and, and, and worksmen that comes, you know, to, to, to spend a few months in South Africa and actually, you know, whatever they are specialized in, they will be working on, uh, you know, either turbine hall or the electrical building or in the, in the um, within the reactor building. Um, and with all these jobs going on, obviously they need people to kind of make sure that paperwork is in order and health and safety gets, um, you know, um, is uh, something that's, um, you know, included in, in, in the job scope and uh, people actually adhere to the health and safety of, of whatever it is they're building, are busy with. Um, and having first-hand experience with Americans, with the English, with the Brazilians, maybe the Japanese, I didn't get to see so much, but, and the French, obviously, you know, this is a French um, power station. A lot of French. Um, in all honesty, um, I think the South African um, um, professionalism and 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 care and um, appreciation of health and safety is probably is not probably is much higher than all of the other countries that that gets to come um, once a year or whatever to come and work here. You know, the French, the English, the Americans, everyone was very. Um, it's it's individuals who's not really the health and safety is not something they they care too much about, which is quite interesting because you would imagine you know these are the professionals from from you know other power stations where I'm sure the the level of of um, of health and safety is as high you know because obviously there's a baseline where all of these nuclear power station needs to adhere to, and uh, maybe for that reason that's why you know Kuberg has won multiple awards yearly awards on on their health and safety and uh, having you know, being in that position, I saw that, you know, South Africans are much keener to adhere to health and safety than many other countries or the engineers from these other countries. So, um, um, yeah, so that was the one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about is um, I had um, also the opportunity to go down underneath underground um to to observe these um a seismic rafts that the the whole station is sitting on so um the station has been designed to resist earthquakes and and 747 boeings that had if if they had to fly into the the reactor buildings and i think um this power station can withstand a magnitude uh, seven earthquake um at a focal distance of about nine ten eleven kilometers um but I think you know the, the last time we had a, um, an earthquake close to that was somewhere in the 1800s. Although you know I think it was 2000s or not too long ago actually we had a we had something a smaller earthquake, but that wasn't too much of an issue for for the um, power station. Um, anyway, so the 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 idea with the visiting the um, nuclear reactor building. Um, obviously, it's it's there's ex- so much machines and and checkpoints and shit that you need to go through, and every office um, that gets to or every uh, worker that gets to enter the the reactor building, you have a specific amount of millisieverts uh, or sieverts that you are 
allowed for a specific amount of time per year for, or something. So I think if I remember correct, I might be wrong actually, but I think us, our health and safety team, I think between like 10 of us, we had eight um, CVETs, which converts, I think, to 8,000 millisieverts. If I'm correct, I might be even wrong about this, but as a collective, that's what we had to, to work with. And if it's like it's like um, a credit, you know, if it's done, it's done. Um, so basically what we used to do is um, you go into the reactor building, you change into your yellow overall, um, and then you've got your gloves that you need to tape, your your, oversho- your uh, what do they call it, overshoes, I think. So you've got two pairs of these basically uh, rubberish um, um, covers that you go, that gets put over your shoes. You've got your, a cover for your hard hat. You know, you've got your ELD and your TLD, which is basically um, these two little um, radiation detection detection devices that's, you know, sitting on your chest. And um, it's basically a device that's, you, you know, used for personal dose or monitoring um, radiation dose. And what happens is this, uh, when radiation falls onto these TLDs, it looks like a little old school pager. The electrons basically get excited and then it stores the energy. And then after a period... You know, um, these badges or devices are s- got, get sent out for, for reading. Um, so whenever you're in the reactor building and you are walking, obviously, you know, you need to keep in mind how much millisieverts or uh, what uh, millisieverts or microsieverts you've got to, to spend. You know, so you only have 20 minutes or half an hour, um, usually for us, you know, because we don't do physical work, we only get, go inside to make sure that the uh, guys are working according to the job spec, and then we leave again. So we've got 20, uh, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever, uh, uh, that before we leave again. And in that twenty minutes, half an hour, the only thing that's going through your mind is not to touch your face, your face, because it's so hot and humid inside, and you've got your heart out, you've got your 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 protection, your goggles, you've got your earplugs. You've got your pen and pad, and uh, you start to sweat. And as you move around, walking around from job site to job site, you know, um, it's a human thing just to want to, you know, um, just clean your nose or, or get the sweat off your forehead. And um, that's basically, yeah, that's usually where people get hot particles uh, or small pieces of radiation. Get, uh, um, it's usually on their nose or on their forehead. So uh, moving around the, the reactor building, that's basically the one thing on your mind is not touch yourself, don't touch yourself, don't touch yourself. You know, and also because you have to hold on three points at all time, you know, when you walk down railings, you have to hold on to the, uh, walking downstairs or upstairs, you always have to hold on to the railing. Um, so your hands or everything is basically, you know, um, they could, uh, the possibility of radiation or, low, uh, you know, small pieces of radiation could is a, is a possibility uh, and then you've got these hot particles that can drop or fall from from um, from the top, from the um, you know from items or from gear or equipment. Um, so it was once or twice that I've observed while being within the reactor building that people actually had hot particles on them, especially on their nose. And anyway, so when, and then when you leave this uh, reactor building, you've got to, you get to the step off pad. It looks like you exit you're exiting a space shuttle. You've got this uh, a bunch of people sitting with uh, you know behind computer screens, and you've got this step off pad, uh, which you are not allowed to to cross. And then you've got all these bins, and you've got this specific order that you need to remove your hard hat, remove your gloves, remove your shoes, remove your overall and all the shit uh, until you're basically in your underwear. And then there's this old, it looks like an old gramophone that you basically pick up and then you scan yourself, and it makes these. 
It basically checks you for, for radiation um, in body parts. And then you exit that, you go through a, a full body scanner, which scans your body again for, for, for any radiation. And then you get the opportunity to put some clothes on, you put your white overalls on, and then you go through another three scanners before you can actually leave this building. And the last one, the last scanner is a full body scanner where, you know, if, if you're clean, the gate opens and you can leave. The second, this is actually the second last machine. And once, um, you know, it was scanning, uh, it, I was busy being scanned and then it showed I had a hot party or had something, um, it, you know, from neck up. So it doesn't really tell you the nose or the ear is somewhere specific. It just gave you a general idea. So I had to go back. Luckily for me, I just had um, some hot particle or some something on my hot hat. So luckily I had to discard the hot hat and just get a new one. And, uh, you know, I was able to go out. But there was a guy before me who had a hot particle or something on his nose. So they had to take duct tape and try and rip this uh, hot particle off his skin. Um, and I think, you know, um, just after that, I think it got banned for a specific amount of time for entering just because of the um, the fact that he ended up touching his nose to, to, to get rid of sweat or something. And that's how he got ended up having radiation or whatever on his, on his nose. Um, so it's not the most fun of places to be. It's a very interesting place to see. It's just fucking fascinating to be in the reactor building. And um, it's one of many things that I got to experience. That, like I said, that was quite an amazing um, eye-opener to be able to walk around a, a, a massive place like this and observe all the systems in place to, you know, give, um, at the end of the day, basically give electricity. So love it or hate it, but Kuburg is going to be there until we find a better solution to cleaner nuclear power. Um, there was there was uh, somewhere on my phone actually I saw the, some scientists in the UK or something created a cleaner um, nuclear power f- through fission if I remember correct um, I think we're as we're with places like this they use fusion so I'm sure we are on the brink of uh, finding a, a solution to all of this I don't know how long Kuburg is still going to be there uh, but n- like I said until, until then uh, this is what we're going to have to deal with and uh, I think, you know, with time, what they're basically doing is they keep on um, extending the, the life expectancy of the, the nuclear power station by upgrading specific amount of pieces and parts. And um, I, I think at this stage, because it's such an old uh, nuclear power station, you know, I think everything has be has to be machined in, in, um, in-house. I don't think you can go to the fucking... Um, a hardware store to to get pieces anymore you know i think everything has to be basically built on site should something break uh, because i just don't think there's any more um um spares left for building like this you know um but anyway that's that's just um a thought i don't i, don't, I can't really say exactly but um yeah so that was just um, a small piece of some time spent in the in the um power station um and um yeah that's today's episode load shedding ciao